1: Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. What does it mean to be kind in today's world when we need it more and understand it less? My guest on today's show is Houston Kraft, and he's here to shed some light on the gap between believing and doing being nice and being kind, and how to form meaningful habits that can orient us toward compassion. Are you ready to meet him? Houston Kraft is a speaker, author, and kindness advocate who's spoken at more than 600 schools and events internationally. In 2016, he co-founded Character Strong, curriculum and trainings that transform the way schools teach social emotional learning, character education, and kindness. To date, they've worked with more than 2,500 schools globally, serving more than 1 million students. In 2019, his face, oh, this is so cool, his face was featured on Lay's barbecue potato chip bags as someone who helps spread smiles. I don't think we've ever had a potato chip celebrity on the show before. Houston's new book is Deep Kindness, and you can find out more about Houston and his work at deepkindness.com. Houston, welcome to Out of the Fog
0: thank you yeah the the chip thing is a dream I didn't know I had but it accidentally came true
1: you know you fill out those little aptitude tests like in middle yeah. school to see what you'll be good at when you grow up and I never have heard chip celebrity as one of those things wow
0: yeah I hadn't heard either until seventh grade when that came up and then destiny oriented me no, I'm just kidding <laughs> are, they...
1: are you recognized now people stop you on the streets and they go aren't you that guy from the chip yeah,
0: Only if I cover the top half of my face. I don't know if you've seen the, the Lay's chips that they've been doing this on, but they, they take people's smiles. So the top of the bag is a smile. And the idea would be you hold up the bag and it <laughs> creates the lower half of your face. So yeah, if I'm walking around with the top of my face covered, everyone who eats barbecue Lay's <laughs> recognizes me.
1: oh my goodness oh that's wonderful so just now dipping into your work and just away from the chips just just for a second dipping into your work what (laughs) what is your how do you define kindness because part of what really energizes me about what you're teaching is you don't mean bland kindness do you what do you mean when you say kindness
0: yeah I think I um I think I look at you know everyone who who's been in their work for a long time just pays probably more attention to their thing than the average person over time. Mine just happens to be sort of that like abstract value of kindness. I've been thinking about it rather obsessively for a decade, and I had this realization uh, a, a year ago at this point uh, that I think the most damaging narrative one of the biggest reasons we experience a gap in in our belief in kindness and our ability to act on it, I think comes down to the language, right? The way we understand the word, because the way we understand words, I think we take for granted sometimes the power of words in our brains, you know, how much our perspective or paradigm of a word controls or shapes our actions. Kindness is a great example. Kindness. I think we've been, we've been told via culture and the media that kindness looks like a pretty specific thing. You know, at least in the way that it gets advertised to us when we're young, it's this this fluffy thing. It's this, uh, this happy-go-lucky thing. It's this high-flying inspirational thing. It's the walk the old lady across the street thing. It's the pay it forward coffee lines thing. And I think it's always important to qualify. I never want to dismiss those things as bad, but I think one of the more damaging narratives we have in our culture is that kindness is fluffy. Is that kindness is uh, perhaps the worst one of all, free. Hmm. Having worked in a lot of schools, Karen, I, at one of the posters I've seen most regularly, you know, walking down the halls of schools, you see all kinds of inspirational quotes and sayings and mottos and missions. And I see this poster in probably almost every school I've been to, which is throw kindness around like confetti.
1: Yeah.
0: And it to me is is the perfect example of a well-intentioned thing gone wrong, which is to say the intention of the poster is we need to be more generous in how we spread kindness. The unintentional consequence is we reduce this really big, beautiful, complex, challenging idea of kindness down to the simple act of throwing confetti. Mm. And when we make something seem as simple or as easy or as free as that, we have this weird thing as humans where we don't actually value it as deeply. We talk about like engineering or getting your doctorate or your law degree, become a professional athlete. We we talk about those things as requiring a lot of hard work over time. And then we talk about kindness, which I would describe as just as important as any of those other pieces. We talk about it as confetti. <laughs> and my argument would be if kindness was as simple or as easy as confetti, the world would be a much more kind place. Yeah. Reality is kindness requires a whole lot more from us. And until we start to, Bring that into the way we speak about it. We're going to continue to be frustrated at the lack of it.
1: You say in the book that we all we all agree kindness is good, but that we're not very good at it. Why aren't we good at it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that gap. Kindness isn't the only place we experience that gap. I don't think, but uh, (laughs) the Greeks the Greeks have a a word for it. They have a word for a lot of things, but the Greeks use the word krasia. Craziya roughly translates to our weakness of will, right? That the our desire to do something we know is capital R right or capital G good or capital T true, uh, and then the the lack of discipline we have to actually do the thing repeatedly and habitually. Uh, and so I think that's one of the reasons we experience that gap. I think culturally. We reinforce that gap because we have this weird disparity between values and skills. I would never fix a chain on my bike and call myself an engineer. And yet for a lot of us, we allow ourselves the narrative that if I do one act of kindness towards someone I already like, or I'm involved in one community service day a year, I can call myself a kind person. But values and skills, we both earn our way into them in similar ways, right? Repetition is the key to fluency, whether you're trying to become a better piano player or trying to become a more compassionate person. And so I think that's partially why that gap exists is because we we have a um, an inaccurate way of perceiving things like values in our life.
1: So when we practice deep kindness, that's different than just saying um, nice sweater or um, petting a lonely kitten on the forehead or, or paying the bridge toll for the person behind us. What is deep kindness then? Is it, it employing that discipline, that awareness that you're talking about here?
0: Yeah, I, I would say uh, awareness and discipline are two great words for it, Karen. The, the awareness piece is is part one. I'll, I'll give an example through story. Um, one of the, one of the most practical and and visceral stories I stumbled upon in writing the book was the story of of Sandy Hook, This shooting, this tragedy that people from all over the world wanted to respond to with an action of kindness, right? When we feel bad, when we hurt for people, we want to do something to alleviate that hurt. So people from all over the world sent teddy bears, stuffed animals, because obviously children were killed in this tragedy. So many teddy bears, in fact, that The town of Newtown, Connecticut, a town that's currently suffering with this emotional trauma, now has to rent a 20,000 square foot warehouse to house all the inbound gifts. (laughs) And the gentleman who helped plan the candlelit vigil said that there were more stuffed animals present than there were people. And in a rather profound statement, he goes, you know, a teddy bear is great, but a teddy bear doesn't pay for counseling and a teddy bear doesn't pay for a funeral. So let's start with that awareness piece, because to me, that's, that's part one. My friend Barbara Gruner has a beautiful saying. She says, empathy is what gives kindness. It's why. And I would suggest that kindness with a lack of empathy typically serves me more than it does the person I'm trying to give kindness to. Hmm. Why? Because I'm projecting my needs onto the circumstances or realities of someone else which it doesn't always guarantee, whatever I need in the moment is not the guarantee of what the person across from me needs. So part of deep kindness is the willingness to listen first. On the far side of that listening, you may discover that what the person needs is for you to pay for their toll. You might discover that it is uh, walking the person across the street, Uh, but to uh, assume that that's what they need, uh, I think oftentimes sets us up for selfish kindness instead of generous kindness confetti versus deep. The second part there is, is the discipline piece, which is what does it look like to do this consistently over time? I, an example I'd offer is, is my mom. Um, she, she started writing me notes in my lunch when I was in kindergarten. And the, the notes typically had like a a mom's life lesson of the day and a word of the day. And you think about the The time it took for me, my mom, to write one of those on one day. You could equate it to paying for the toll or petting the cat. It's two to three minutes of action, which in and of itself is a pleasant thing. It's a lovely thing. I would not describe it as a world-changing or a life-changing thing most of the time. The distinction is my mom decided to do that kindergarten through 12th grade. Wow. So now those two-minute actions in aggregate consistently over time, I look back and I say, that is the most profound collective action of love. As I look back on probably the entirety of my life, like the one thing I could point to to say, my mom decided not to miss a day doing this. So I would describe both of those things to to hold them both as equally important when it comes to deep kindness. So what am I doing first to be aware of the need? And then part two, what am I doing to actually do that in a way that isn't just a one-off thing, not, a, not an action of circumstance or convenience, but an action of, of consistency or an action of um, you know, orienting myself towards a, a deeper outcome or a deeper purpose.
1: You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Houston Kraft. His new book is Deep Kindness, a revolutionary guide for the way we think, talk, and act in kindness. And you can find out more about Houston and his work at deepkindness.com. So you're working a lot in in schools, and I'm wondering what kinds of things we should be teaching our children or things we should be open to learning ourselves as adults so that we can not just practice kindness but come to embody it. Um, Mm. To me, when I think about kindness, it's um, almost, yes, with awareness and discipline, but there's also a positive, like a reaching out in kindness that can sometimes happen almost before we think of it. Do you know what I Mm. mean? And Mm -hmm. I'd love to be more mindful about following that as well.
0: Yeah, beautifully said. I I think um, let's... Let's hold this question in, in two directions. The first one is the the meta-narrative of education, which is aiming people towards uh, being quote unquote, successful in the world. So what are we teaching people inside of school and what are we teaching people as a result of school? I think are two separate questions. Hmm. The first one I would, uh, would talk about is that idea of success. Um, In a a frustratingly tragic example, I'll never forget being down at a school in Texas doing professional development with their staff and a beautiful, massive school in Texas, like 4,000 students. And they uh, tout themselves excitedly as one of the top 50 uh, public schools in the country in terms of high achievement. And I'm walking through the halls and saying, this place is amazing. And the counselor pulls me aside and he goes, hey, just so you have context, um, we also send a student to the hospital every week. Uh, with some sort of mental health crisis or suicidal ideation or attempt. And I remember hearing that and thinking to myself, this school is calling themselves one of the top 50 schools in the country, whether that's because of their own narrative or paradigm or, or because they're thinking about it, the systems that are offering schools this distinction. Either way, what they are saying there is that it's okay to be high achieving at the expense of well being. What they're implicitly stating to young people is, we are going to win no matter the cost. Hmm. Sometimes literally at the expense of, of student lives. I'm like, I would not describe you as a high achieving school. If your achievement is at the expense of student mental health. I think about my friend Keith Hawkins who is speaking to a room of student leaders and he goes, hey, how many of you in the past month that a parent or guardian at the end of the day ask you the question, what did you do for others today? Not how was your day, not what did you learn today, but what did you do for others today? It's this massive room of student leaders, and zero hands went up. And organizationally, at Character Strong, the organization I co-founded, we talk about that all the time. How do we more consistently, explicitly, and implicitly ask that question? What did you do for others today? Because you think about the most common questions we ask young people, it's all about them. How was your day? What did you learn today? How was practice? How did the test go? And it's all about their world, which is naturally, you know, not on fault of their own, naturally breeds a sense of narcissism, a n- sense of self-orientation, because the questions we ask them are begging them constantly to think about themselves versus perhaps even just one question, whether that's sco- in the context of schools or in the context of your family at home at night. What about that daily question of some variation? What did you do for others today? So kind of on the meta level, like when I think about schools, I think that's, that's important. In the practical level, the work that we do in schools is really skill building. I think about kindness as an external behavior informed by internal skills. Oh. So em- empathy is a good example of that, right? This, that kindness is a byproduct of this internal learning and competency of empathy. We could put a couple other things in that category. For example, uh, emotional regulation. You know how hard it is to be kind to someone who's frustrating you, Hmm. who uh, has hurt you, who you're jealous of, who's different than you. And all those situations when we feel angry or resentful or fearful, do I have tools in my toolbox to regulate my emotions well enough to still show up in compassion in this circumstance? The answer for many young people and and really many of us as we look into the world is no. And of course, we know that we can teach some of those things. We can teach emotional understanding. We can teach how emotions happen in our body. We can teach how to name those emotions to get better control over them. We can teach those emotion management techniques so that when you're feeling big feelings, you can regulate them enough to still behave in alignment with your beliefs or your, your identity, your purpose. Uh, so those would be the two ways that sort of I, I suppose I think about that question, Karen, of, of what do we need to teach? Well, we need to teach meta in the way that we think about education, the questions that we're asking, how we're defining success. And then very practically, we need to teach empathy, perspective taking, listening, emotional regulation, management, teamwork, cooperation, courage, respect, and all the things that live beneath kindness.
1: And there's that. So I'm a, I'm a parent and my boys are now 18 and almost 21. There's uh both of them went through a, a school district that was similarly high achieving. We'll win. We'll get there at all costs. Our students go to the best colleges, right? We have enough money for, I don't know, band instruments for everybody. I went to a very high mm-hmm. achieving school. And and my older son was saying to me the other night, he was looking back and he's like, I can see all the mistakes I made. I can see where I didn't do it right. I can see where I could have. And I was trying to say to him, do, but do you understand that you are good, right? Mistakes are a part of life. Wishing you'd done it differently, things you did that you regret or you would do it differently now, that behind all of that, there's something good and true and real about you that makes you a good person. And when I think about what you're saying about kindness and as we're, as we're teaching these skills and giving kids tools, there's also that peace. At least I feel that kindness comes from our understanding that we ourselves are good and can act from that goodness, not perfect, not right, not, but I mean, good and can act from that goodness. Mm. Does that, you know what I mean when I say that?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a sense of uh, wholeness, well-being, which doesn't dismiss our fears as uh, irrelevant. It just means we've had a chance to process those fears in a place that feels safe. And uh, it gives us room to, to wrestle with those things, which our current education paradigm doesn't offer super effectively. But you're right. They're totally necessary. Um, you know, one of the biggest narratives I think young people experience is that if I fail, I'm a failure. Yeah. And that's 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 baked into the the nature of education today is that 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 becomes a part of their internal message set right if I feel um you know, my friend Dr. Michelle Borba has been researching empathy for two decades, and she says the biggest barriers to empathy and connection are anxiety, fear, and narcissism. Mm-hmm. So you think about how those things are increasing in our world, and you realize that if we don't help young people navigate the exact sort of thought processes or, or, or sense of self in the world, then their empathy will be ruled by their anxiety and fear. And so it's helping people navigate those fears in healthy, thoughtful ways that allows them to see beyond themselves, to understand themselves in order to see beyond themselves.
1: During this pandemic, it's changed the way that we come together socially, come together in community. It's changed the way uh, kids are in school. I would imagine it's changed some of the way you do your work. How has this time shifted um, your understanding of or the way you put in practice the principles that you're teaching?
0: I think um, one of the quotes that we use often internally but there are two that come to mind when you say that. The first one is, uh, which we've long held as a belief, which is that social emotional learning, sort of the category of work we do in education is not another thing on the plate. It is the plate upon which we build everything else. Mm. Um, That's a paradigm shift that we try to offer educators at every possible turn, uh, particularly those who feel overwhelmed, which I think is the nature of education at whole. Bigger problem for a different talk probably, but... Uh, educators are overworked and overwhelmed. And so the idea of trying to implement quote unquote, one more thing um, is anxiety inducing. For many of them, it's partially because they've had the experience of being told, we're going to try this thing this year, this thing this year, and they have this mentality in education of quote unquote, this too will pass. And so it's, it's rewriting that narrative to be, to say, this is not another thing. This is the, this is the aquifer beneath it all, right? This Mm -hmm. is what will feed everything we do if we know how to do it in, in low burden but meaningful ways. The second thing that I think the current context has taught us is that we, you know, the narrative for a long time is that content is king or queen. And uh, we're, for any place people will listen to us, we're saying connection is king and queen. Uh, before you ever get into content, particularly right now, you got to focus on connection because uh, if, we are experiencing social isolation, loneliness, or a lack of belonging, we know through the research that engagement's gonna go down, whether you're in-person or virtual, um, that's gonna be true. And so the things we're building into all of our curriculum are consistent small mechanisms to, to cultivate connection.
1: Can you let the listeners know how they can find out more about you and what you're working on and also how they can get their hands on your book?
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, If you want insights into my daily brain, um, you can find me Houston Craft. Houston, like the city, Craft like the cheese, Um, mostly (laughs) on Instagram if you're a social media. -er. Um, If you want to learn more about Character Strong and the work we do in schools, that's characterstrong.com. And then of course the book, Deep Kindness, deepkindness.com will have all the links to the wonderful places you can purchase it, as well as a bunch of cool resources and interviews and things like it. If you want to go deeper down the kindness rabbit hole.
1: Oh, I love going deeper down the kindness rabbit hole. Is there, just with just a few seconds left together, is there something you could recommend to the listeners? Maybe something that they could do today to start to maybe be a little more kind to themselves?
0: My favorite practice, uh, put it on your calendar. Even if it's just a 10 minute slot, put on your calendar, whatever word you want to live into today, whether that's kindness or patience or presence or gratitude, calendar it out, make it a recurring event. So if nothing else, you have a reminder in front of you. As Samuel Johnson says, we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. Mm. So uh, we need perpetual small reminders to put us into action. And maybe that even looks like writing a note posted in someone's lunch.
1: And it's a way of making it important, isn't it? I value this, I value this practice. I value the time and the ink and the paper it takes to write this word. Ah that's ah oh, that's lovely. Houston thank you very much.
0: My joy Karen it's been so pleasant.
1: That is Houston Craft. His new book is Deep Kindness, a revolutionary guide for the way we think, talk and act on kindness. You can find out more about Houston and his work at deep kindness.com also characterstrong.com to find out more about that educational effort that he's involved in. And you're always welcome over at karenhager.com. It's a good place to find out about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a private session with me there. If you're so in kind as so inclined as we come to the end of the year, this is a time when sometimes we look back and look ahead And if I can use my intuitive ability to help you see more deeply into the way the past year has affected you and help shine a flashlight on what may be ahead in the next year, that would be my honor. You can find more information about working with me at KarenHager.com. And if you are as passionate as I am about the health of our planet, the health of our communities, the health of our beautiful, loving hearts, I invite you to check out openpeacefulheart.com. That's a place where you can get information about a free monthly guided meditation call that my wife and I do together that focuses on peace in our hearts and peace in the world. We've been running this call for many years now. It attracts people from all over the world, which is very cool. The most important part, though, is your participation, your engagement, your intention. When we focus on what is good, what is right, what is true, what binds us all together, we can make change. So you can get details about that program at openpeacefulheart.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.